night. You guys, you guys got a lot of peace to give, I see, all right? Well, good morning. I was recently at, uh, yeah, sorry, good morning. I forgot how we do that. Uh, I was recently at Strike and Spare in Clarksville. Have you all been there? If you like, like, sticky meets stinky, that's your place. That's your jam. Uh, I was there, and this, this guy came up to me. He's one of the workers. He's like a teenager guy. He's like, has anyone ever told you you look like a celebrity? And I was super stoked about this because last time I got told this, it was Hugh Grant. And I was like, he seems charming, and, like, he seems, I like that. And so I was like, here comes another Hugh Grant love. And, uh, and then he said, has anyone ever told you that you look like Paul Blart? And I was like... <laughs> Not even like Kevin James, like the actor. It was like specifically the mall cop, Paul Blart. And I was like, why did you say that out loud, dude? You're doing it wrong. My name is not Paul Blart. It's not Kevin James. It's Lachlan Coffee. I'm one of the pastors here at Sojourn Community Church. And I'm, it's a privilege and honor to get to hang out with you all. It's been forever since I've been able to preach a sermon. And so I'm thankful to be here. I told Jonah, he had asked me to preach a couple times. I was like, I'm not coming on this stage until I have new bathrooms and a new stage built for me. And I'm like a preaching diva. That's how I roll, all right? Um, I'm excited this Wednesday. I want, before we preach here, um, I wanna announce, just give you guys a quick announcement here that this Wednesday morning, 6.30 in the morning is one of our best services of the year. It's called Ash Wednesday. A lot of you guys love the Christmas Eve service or maybe you love the Easter service, but the one we hear the most feedback from is about the Ash Wednesday service. If you can make it, be here. I grew up Protestant. I grew up very Protestant. And so I had no idea why people were walking around on Ash Wednesday with stuff on their head. I just thought it was like you did not shower that morning or something was wrong. And here we are, we're having Ash Wednesday, and that's the kickoff to Easter. 40 days later, we celebrate Easter. And so we all come together as a body of, in Christ and we understand that from ashes we came and to ashes we will return. And then we stew in that for 40 days. And then on Easter morning, we all show up here for a freaking party where we throw down and we understand that death has been defeated by Jesus Christ. That's what Ash Wednesday kicks off. And so 6.30, if you could get butts and seats this Wednesday, that would be fantastic. We, we would welcome it. All right, let's preach us a sermon, all right? With that in mind, I'm going to ask you, if possible, to stand for the reading of God's Word. We stand to honor God's Word, and if you can't, that's totally understandable. I know it's a little bit of an inconvenience. For the kingdom of heaven, this is uh, the parable of the workers in the vineyard. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day, and he sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and he saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard. I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. And he said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came 
who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day? But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Thanks. Or this is the word of the Lord. I almost did my, your all's part. You all can be seated. This parable drives me crazy. All right. I've been sitting in this for the last couple of weeks. And when I first came to it and realized I was going to preach on this, uh, it just got my goat. It bothers me so much. And when I get uncomfortable, I start to do things that are not normal. And I start to create things and just try to get out of my uncomfort somehow. And so this, when I read this, it feels upside down to me. It feels very strange. All right. And I don't know about you, but I've been getting into a show called Stranger Things. Any Stranger Things people out there? It's an homage to the 80s. And it's about a group of kids that are fighting to save the world one Demogorgon at a time, all right? And I could not help myself thinking about this upside down feeling and this strange place that we're being called into here. And I created a little something for you all today. Can I show you all it? Okay, here we go. So anyway, that's how I dealt with my uh, discomfort here by creating this dumb video that I paid $5 for. My wife was like, I don't know if this fits very well. And I was like, I paid $5 for it. Be gone, Satan. Uh, So it's there. This passage drives me crazy because I'm in one of two groups. And maybe you're in one of these groups either, uh, or either, either, either. Uh, A businessman and a human, all right? From a business perspective, this is terrible. This passage is terrible. Can I say that? It's not a good business strategy here. And let's tease this out. Just let me vent for a moment. A vineyard owner, he owns a vineyard. He needs workers for the said vineyard. So the morning begins, 6 a.m. rolls around. He goes and gets workers. He says, I'm gonna pay you a denarius, which is a pretty standard wage for that day. Come and work with me in the vineyard. So the 6 a.m. workers start working. 9 a.m. rolls around. He's like, hey, need more workers. I'm gonna go back, get some more workers this time. He doesn't say what the, uh, the amount is, the wage. He just says, trust me, I'll take care of you. So now the 6 a.m. workers and the 9 a.m. workers are doing vineyardy things, whatever you do in a vineyard, untangle vines and stuff. And then noon makes its appearance. The worker, the owner is like, hey, I need more workers. He goes back into town, gets more workers, does the 
Uh, Allstate insurance, you know, you're in good hands. Um, that's my only Allstate insurance joke, I promise. Then 3 p.m. comes around and he goes and does the same thing. And then 5 p.m., he goes and gets more workers because he doesn't know that he needed that amount of workers. One hour before the end of the workday. This guy cannot calculate how many employees he needs for his enterprise, all right? So this is either a very inept CEO or something more is going on here. And it gets worse. Pay time comes around. It's time to pay the workers. And he goes backwards in sequence. And the 5 p.m. workers are the first to be paid. They have their hand out and he pays them a denarius. That's the same amount that the 6 a.m. workers are getting. Then 3 p.m. workers are next. They get a denarius. And then 12 gets a denarius. The 9 a.m. get a denarius. And 6 a.m. are like, I'm gonna get more than anyone because I worked the longest amount of hours. Nope, denarius. This is terrible. This is bad business. And from a human perspective, it's also frustrating because all of us have been born with something we call the fairness gene. The fairness gene is deeply embedded into our psyche. It's in the recesses, the very fibers of our DNA is this fairness DNA. And it's a DNA or it's a gene that causes us to say things whenever appropriate or inappropriate. We blurt out, no, that's not fair. And so Black Friday happens and you get up at 4 a.m. in the morning to go to Best Buy and sit outside because you want to buy that 60-inch TV for $2 or whatever. And then you find out that your buddy woke up at noon and bought that same TV online. Nuh-uh, that's not fair. Or your coworker that sits next to you, she's always streaming Grey's Anatomy and walking around the office, your corporate office, wrapped around in a blanket like a weirdo. We're being paid the same amount? Nuh-uh. That ain't fair. Or you work 12 hour, a 12-hour shift and you get paid the same amount as one hour. That ain't fair. So it's utterly frustrating to read this passage because I think he's doing it wrong, this vineyard owner. It doesn't fit into the constructs of the world we live in, right? And quite honestly, it doesn't fit into the constructs of my own common sense. Something feels off here. It feels strange. But, and it's a big but here, God ain't interested in fitting into our constructs, amen? This is not a parable about good business practices or even fairness. This is a parable when he tells us, he tells us what it's about in the first seven words. For the kingdom of heaven is like. This is a parable about the kingdom. And we've been in a series here talking about these parables. We've been talking about parables of money and your cover is wrong. We're actually starting today talking about the parable of kingdoms, the parables of the kingdom. Jesus is trying to get us to think about his kingdom. And he's using this story to get us a bit flustered, a bit frustrated, because I think he's trying to challenge us to think differently. So what if we read this parable, not through our lens, but rather through God's lens? Isaiah 55, verse eight says it like this. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you can imagine. Jesus is constantly flipping things on on their head. He's challenging us to to respond differently to things. He's changing our perspective. Jesus reorients the way we think. Not only are there strange things occurring in this parable, but once again, Jesus is inviting us into a world that is completely upside down, topsy-turvy, countercultural, and he does this all the time. We've been talking about this upside down a lot lately, and I just continue to... Um, reinforce it. Matthew 5 
talks about Jesus like, hey, I know it's normal. If someone hits you, you want to hit them back. But what if you didn't? What if you turned the other cheek? That is upside down. Luke 11 talks about the prodigal son where a father gives an early inheritance to his son. And what does the son do? He squanders it. He goes on a binge, just uh, spends it all on foolish, dumb stuff. He comes back home. He's re- he feels uh, uh, shame and regret. And how does the father respond? Is it discipline? No. Does Jesus say he passively, aggressively applies shame to the son? No. You know what the father responds according to Jesus? Throw a party. Let's throw a bar- party because my son was dead, but now he's alive. He was lost, but now he's found. That is upside down, friends. And I hate reading this next passage because it bothers me as well. Philippians 1, 15 through 18. I'm gonna read it for you, but I get frustrated. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up, the trouble, stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what doesn't matter, the important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. So you mean to tell me, God, that I watch these televangelists on, on the TV screen and I know that their motives are out to just line their pockets full of gold and I am to rejoice because at the very least, Christ is being preached. That's my response. That is upside down. And again, God calls us into that world. He calls us to go against the culture. Jesus is against the grain. He is the resistance. Jesus is the rebellion. Jesus is more punk rock than he is mainstream, if you wanna think about it like that. And he does it again in this parable, guys, the workers in the vineyard. He challenges us to think differently, to see it from his viewpoint. So let's dig into this a little bit. And I have three areas of introspection that I wanna dig in a bit. The complaint, the defense, and the payment. So let's start with the complaint, Matthew 20. This is the complaint. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. You've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. This is a normal response that many of us can go, yep, sounds like it makes sense. You work longer hours, ergo, you get more money. Um, That's how it should be. But this complaint is dressed up in justice. And oftentimes we dress up our complaints in justice, but really what's happening is that that justice is actually jealousy. Or we use justice as a weapon to limit generosity. And that's what's really occurring here. And keep in mind, this whole story is about the kingdom of God, where the very end of it, the punchline, is the last shall be first, and the first will be last. So this complaint about the one-hour workers getting the same payment as the 12-hour workers, it's an analogy of how we grumble about who goes to heaven It's the classic theological discussion of what if Hitler goes to heaven or can Hitler go to heaven? But I was baptized, Lachlan, when I was eight years old. I've been in the church my whole life. But Lachlan, I've given 10% of my salary. I'm like $200,000 invested into heaven. Pay up. But Lachlan, I've been in Djibouti for 20 years doing missionary work. I don't even know if Djibouti is a real country. That's a real country. Okay, thank you. Uh, 
I'm like a five-year-old. <laughs> Confirm. Uh, I agree. Similar to those early bird workers saying, and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. We often say something to the effect of, and you've made them equal to us. We've lived out a whole life full of faith and they're equal to us. We grumble and we murmur and we have this judgment complex about who's in and who's out. And we're gonna see how God turns that on its head, flips it upside down in a moment. We also do this in lesser ways than just salvation. And I'll use sojourn as, a, as an example. Oftentimes, um, we, we sing songs and we all stand, right, for, the, for worship. And have you ever seen someone sit, sit down in front of you while we're all standing? And maybe you're tempted to think, oh, interesting, sitting down during the worship. I guess the God of the universe is not grand enough for you to discard your comfort for about 30 more seconds. Interesting. Hmm. Or the pendulum swings the other way. And you have someone in front of you during the worship that's just raising their hands and doing that like sojourn shuffle move. You know what I'm talking about? I have it. And you're just like, calm down, Felicia. Just simmer down a little bit. All right. This song isn't about you. All right. We kind of have this judgment all the time. And it's, it's, very, we, it's easy to have this complaining spirit when we compare ourselves to each other on a constant basis. And while there's bigger uh, notes of emphasis I want to make in this passage, I would be remiss if I didn't say, hey, let's check our heart for a moment here. Because maybe this is calling us to, to inspect our heart and make sure that we don't have a complaining spirit and a complaining heart. So are you quick? Are you quick to throw judgments on people? Are you quick to complain about others based on what you think they should do, and then they don't do it? Or they do it in a manner that you don't think they should have done it in? Is it common for you in, to get in the car? And I'm guilty of this very often. You, get, you hang out with friends or you get done with church and the first thing you do is get in the car and you say something negative. I didn't like this. Did they play that song? I didn't like that style. Lachlan <laughs> says too many jokes. <laughs> you know, whatever. You have like these, this complaining spirit. Is that you? If so, dude, God's calling you to repent of that. Let's get out of this complaining lifestyle. 1 Timothy 6.6 6 calls it like this, yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. We've been talking about the parables of money. This still ties into it a bit here. If you want to feel satisfied and wealthy, it not, has nothing to do with dollars, just contentment and godliness. That'll do it. So similar to the early bird workers, complaining to the vineyard worker, it's easy for us to complain also, and we do it often. But content, grateful, thankful, those are the words attributed to the healthy Christian. So that's the complaint. Now let's get to the defense. Here it is. This is the vineyard owner. But he answered one of them. I'm not being unfair to you, friend, which if you ever want to defuse a conflict, try throwing friend, just see what happens. Like, I didn't call you stupid, friend. Uh, <laughs> see if it works. I don't know. This vineyard owner is trying it. Uh, didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious? Because I am generous. So the vineyard owner has two defenses. He's saying, one, I followed through on the deal. I followed through. And two, I'm sovereign. These are the two defenses whether they liked the arrangement or not, an agreement was made. 
And it was clear in the text that an agreement was made. And the vineyard owner is saying, we agreed on this. I simply did what we agreed on. I followed through. I recently switched jobs after many years of working at the same company. I changed jobs about 18 months ago. And just recently, I found out that my old employer was severely underpaying me at my old job. And I did not respond in a holy way at all. I mean, it, was, it wasn't the right kind of holy. Um, I was angry, and I was bitter. And then I got assigned to preach this daggum passage. <laughs> and you know how Scripture says in Hebrews that the word is like a two-edged sword? It cuts right through you and exposes your innermost thoughts and desires. That's what it did to me. It messed me up. And all of a sudden, this bitter, this anger was exposed. And God started to do something in my own heart. And I could respond. It would be totally a normal response to say, that's not fair. Or I could be very upset and angry at the situation. Or I could think about the words that the vineyard owner provides. And I can remember the agreement that I made with my employer. You know, when I first got hired on in that company and they gave me a salary, I chose, I said yes to it. I came home that day. I said, Terry, we have a great salary. We can do things. Our, our needs are being met. And I was content with that. It wasn't until I started comparing my salary to other people's salary that all of a sudden now I'm unhappy. I was happy just fine. But now I'm unhappy because I don't think it's fair. I could just sit in that. And it's funny just how, how grateful we are when we just focus between us and the Lord. It's our relationship, my relationship with the Lord. I'm not, it's when we step out of that and we start comparing our relationship to everyone else's relationship with the Lord that we start to have this judgment complex. And it's so easy to complain when we do that. It's such a recipe for bitterness and anger. And it, as we know, with any time you have that seed of bitterness planted in your soul, it will ruin your life. It will spring into some nasty stuff. Be thankful and grateful for what is before you, sojourn. Take notice of how God has specifically been generous to you. Now, the vineyard owner is also saying, guys, I'm sovereign over my money. It's my money. You think you can tell me what to do with my money? And as we know, the vineyard owner is, of course, a, a metaphor for God. And the whole story here is about the kingdom of God. And to anyone that would complain about how God runs his kingdom, God has the same two, two defenses. Guys, I'm true to my word. I get, the agreement was clear. And I'm sovereign. God bluntly speaks to this in Exodus 33. He says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. That's like a drop the mic verse for God. And then he does it again. Jesus points, it, points this out to Peter. Jesus had just told Peter how Peter is gonna die one day. And Peter's like, nosy Peter, which that's me too. I'm super nosy. Peter's like, now, now I want you to tell me how everyone's gonna die, all right? I don't know if he was smiling like that. I'm sorry. It's real weird. John 21. Let's see how Jesus responds to this. When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? What about John? And then Jesus says, Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. It's so awesome when God just throws a little shade, right? Just kind of puts you in your place. You're like, yep, I think I needed that. Little dose of humble pie. Tastes good. I mean, who are we to tell God who he loves or who he can give mercy, how much generosity he can give to the world or not? Who are we? 
Scripture says that God holds the whole universe in his hands. I don't even want to hold a hamster in my hands, let alone the universe. So who am I to tell God how he can be God or how to run his kingdom? So as often happens in our lives, we complain to God, and God welcomes those complaints, mind you. He welcomes those complaints. He wants you to be real and honest with him. But hear me, he also defends himself. He's also a God that will put you in your place when you need to be put in your place, and he does it here. But let's get to the crux of, the, of this. We've talked about the complaint. We've talked about the, pain, the defense. Now let's talk about the payment. We're told in verse two, he agreed to pay them, the earliest workers, the 6 a.m. workers. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. It goes on after that. A few verses later, it says, the workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and they each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. This is a total, you get a, everyone gets a trophy passage, right? Does that make you uncomfortable? Because we live in Southern Indiana, we're like, no, I don't want everyone getting a trophy. This is a, you get a car, you get a car. This is straight up Oprah. Yeah, I don't like that. But that's how, that's what happens. Everyone gets a denarius. Now we know by all accounts that a denarius was the standard wage for that day. If you worked a full day's worth, worth of work, you got a denarius. You know, if you got, just like today, you get 75 bucks if you worked a full day or $100. Or for me, I'm like worth like $5. <laughs> okay. Um, we also know that the payday happened every day, right after the, after the work day. You would get paid right away. Why? Because they used that money immediately to take care of the needs of their family, food, shelter, whatever it was. They needed to use that money and immediately put it into whatever their family needed. You see, the vineyard owner did not care about the number of hours they worked. It was never about the hours. It was always about the need. He was always interested in paying for the need of each, of each employee. And the wage he paid was exactly the amount they needed. Jesus concludes the parable with a very quick statement. He says, so the last will be first and the first will be last. So let's go back to the whole purpose of this parable. What is the kingdom of God like? The kingdom of God is an upside down, countercultural, boundary pushing kingdom. It is a place where no competition for God's affection exists. There are no shades of righteousness in God's kingdom. It is a place where God's grace has no bounds. It is a place where our wages are not based on merit, but rather on our need. So let's make sure we understand our need, church. The first part of Romans 6.23 says this. It says, for the wages of sin is death. And then if we rewind three chapters before Romans 3.23, it says, for all have sinned. All have fallen short of the God's glory. So all of us are in this boat together. And the wage that Romans 6.23 says is death. But then we move on to Romans 3.24. Let's praise God together reading this. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. And he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. 
So just like the vineyard owner, God, out of his generosity, God, out of his sovereignty, chooses to pay your full wage of death through the sacrifice of Jesus. Jesus's death replaces your death. Jesus's perfect righteousness replaces your failed righteousness. And it has nothing, church, to do with your church resume, but it has all to do with your need of God. So can Hitler go to heaven? I think Jesus might respond, what's that to you? You must follow me. I think Jesus might say, you often use these excuses for why you're not coming to me, but I'm telling you right now, you and I, we need to do business. What's that to you? You must follow me. Look, if you want a further discussion on that question, look at the thief on the cross. You see that situation where Jesus, in his final breath, that he has two criminals on the sides of him. One is, is calling him out, saying stupid stuff about Jesus. Get down off the cross. You should be better than this, Jesus. The other criminal, he says this. And we don't know much about the background of this criminal. We just know a couple things. One, he's called a criminal. The other is he admits to doing wrong. You'll see it in a second. So he's saying, I did what they're accusing me of. And he's being killed by crucifixion, the worst kind of death. So if anything, this guy is not an upstanding citizen, this thief on the cross. See what happens. But the other criminal rebuked the other criminal. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man, Jesus, he's, got, he's done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. And guys, like many in that crowd on that day that eventually read Luke's account of this historic moment, we might be tempted to think that's not fair. And yeah, it's not fair, but that is grace. And that is the scandal of grace that we're being welcomed in, into. And that is the upside down world that I'm preaching about today. God owes us nothing. We owe him everything. And yet we have nothing to give God. So what does he do? God gives us everything. Doesn't make any sense. But that is the grace of God. And it's when we're looking at this parable and we have these 6 a.m. workers and 9 a.m. workers and noon and all this stuff, we're, a lot of us will go, I'm the 6 a.m. worker because I complain, I murmur. Yeah, and I totally agree. But I'm gonna tell you who you're more likely. And I am too. We're the 5 p.m. workers. We work one hour, <laughs> if best. And we get paid the full amount. We are the ones in desperate need uh, of grace to be bestowed upon us. And as a 5 p.m. worker, guys, God is giving you the grace and inviting you into that world of grace. Even though you don't deserve jack squat, you're still being invited. Some of you guys have already accepted that invitation into God's grace. And if that's the case, don't take it for granted. Today, when we take communion in a few minutes here, I want you to be thankful for the grace of God that has been bestowed upon you. Don't take it for granted. And if you don't have that grace today, and today is the, is the day of salvation, as scripture calls it. Today is the day. There's gonna be people up front. We would love to talk to you about what God's doing in your soul right now, how God is awakening you. And we'll talk about a relationship with God and what that looks like. When we take communion, 
we're reminded every week that Jesus paid our wages full because God is generous, guys, and we desperately needed him too. On the night when, he, when Christ was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread and he broke it saying, this is my body broken for you. Similarly, he took a cup of wine and he said, this is my blood which is poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Today, guys, when you take communion, take a moment, be thankful for what God's doing. Take a moment, have some time to reflect on what God's doing in your life. Also be aware and take a moment to repent of any desire that you have to complain about God's generosity to others. This table today is for those that have taken Christ as Lord. And if you have not done that, I would encourage you to not take this table today, but take Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Leaders are gonna be up front, of course, after the service. We'd love to talk to you again. There's gonna be stations in the front and the back. We use wine and juice. So whatever your conscience permits, you're permitted to do that. And then uh, the, the wine's marked with twine. We always have a gluten-free station to your right uh, that you can take part in as well. Let's pray.